This is your place's call. You are listening to Theatrical Thoughts. I'm Emily Wyra. And I'm Jessica Fight. And today we are joined by Broadway's Christiane Knoll. Christiane is known for starring in Ragtime, Elf, Chaplin, and most recently, Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. Christiane, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. It's where I am. It's a little bit... Um, misty and uh hazy and rainy but that makes for really good light coming through the window so this is perfect <laughs> i feel you it's like kind of gloomy outside but i don't have to use my ring light today so i'm really here for <laughs> do you guys like the ring light or do you think it makes you look like an alien because you have the little rings in your eyes or do you if i'm wearing the blue light glasses it always makes me look like an alien <laughs> That's really smart because you guys online all the time, yeah? yeah. To wear the blue light yeah. glasses. That's oh, see, that's fantastic. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I noticed that it started curtailing the headaches at like the beginning of school because I remember the first couple days of online school, I was just like, whoo, wasn't fun. But then I started wearing the glasses, so it got better once I did. <laughs> so I stick with them. That's great. So if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that we always start our episodes with a sixty-second life story. So Emily will part. hold up a timer <laughs> and then okay. whenever you're ready. Right. You ready for this? Okay. All right. I was born into a musical family. My father was a conductor and my mother was an opera singer. And they used to take me on the road or stick me under the piano during rehearsals. So music was always a part of my life. I was always backstage. I was always, uh, because they would, it was easier to sometimes even put me in the show because that was better than getting babysitting. Um, but I didn't actually want to do it for a career, but I had a lot of incredible teachers that supported me because they realized, no, you have a gift, so you should do it. So I um, did all of the, the choruses and the plays and the things and got into Carnegie Mellon University, went there for, for voice and worked in Pittsburgh um, in my summers at Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera and got my union card there and really kind of just continued to work and was on the road for the first six years of my career, was doing all sorts of national tours. And then I got to my Broadway debut in Jekyll and Hyde and most recently was doing Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway when everything closed. <laughs> Amazing. So growing up, kind of growing up in that musical family, I guess like what's a favorite memory? Like was there something that really stood out to you from that childhood experience? Um, it was just the way it was. I mean, we would uh, drive to a lot of the locations of places that we were performing and I would be in the back seat of the car and my father was a, a musical genius. So he was teaching me music theory without me even realizing it, you know, instead of, I mean, we'd also play find the cow, find the, you know, count, do the alphabet game from things on the license plates and all of that kind of stuff. But they, then he was also say, sing me an A. Now create a major triad. Now put it in second inversion. And now what would be the dominant seventh of that? Now sing a, a Mixolydian mode. What's, you know, what can you make a song out of that? I mean, all of this stuff. So by the time I got to college and was taking theory classes, I'm like, I've been doing this since I was six. Like, what is this? This is a college class? Are you kidding? But because that was just, that's the language that he spoke. So I, that's something that really um, hangs with me, being backstage, 
um, and call, you know, knocking on doors and saying five minutes to places or collecting valuables, or they would give me any kind of little jobs just to keep me busy. Um, I, I, uh, turned pages for him if they were doing a concert and he was playing piano and I would sit and I would turn pages and I start at somehow how I learned how to read music was doing that. Cause I would follow. So he wouldn't just sit and nod to tell me to turn the page. I could actually see where it was. And that was cool. Yeah. Um, but the, I've talked about this before, but, um, going to, uh, Broadway or going to see another show, um, that wasn't something that my family was a part of was fun, but it was kind of a bummer because I wasn't allowed to go in the pit and I wasn't allowed to go backstage unless we knew somebody in the show that could take me back there. But I, especially at a young age, I, I just like, I don't understand. Like, why can't I go backstage? And I was, this is entitled little turd, you know, going, I don't like this, you know, but it was, yeah. So there, there was that too. But, um, it just, uh, it was just a part of my, my upbringing. So I don't really know anything different. Uh, but what was neat is that, uh, they did, I mean, they were professional performers, but they were also going and doing community concerts and they were, uh, he was also a conductor for, um, something that started out in a church basement in New York city. It, it was, there's not many places in New York city where you can conduct a full orchestra. And at his peak, he was conducting shows with 29 pieces, which is a lot. So he was very happy. This was sort of an overgrown community theater in many ways, but he did two shows a year there because he got to play with his union orchestra. They were all players that um, loved to play with him and for him. So I started to identify, I think at a very uh, young age, that there are people who do this. Some do it for a living, but some do it because they love it. And they are all equally gifted and wonderful and talented in, in all of their many ways. And I think when we're fans of it, we sort of look at a hierarchy and we kind of go, oh, they're a Broadway person. Oh, I'm just from this little town. You know, I couldn't possibly do, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I think I started to realize that yeah, there are lots of people that have that idea and then they sort of create celebrity or their faces or, but there are lots of people, some of the most gifted people I know do a lot of regional theater and never leave their small town. And they are some of the most brilliant actors you will ever see, but for whatever their life choices has left them to stay in a smaller venue. And that's brilliant and fine and wonderful and lucky for the audiences that go to those places and get to see them perform. Yeah, absolutely. So you talk a little bit about like, this was such a norm for you kind of growing up around this space, but it wasn't something that you ever saw being your future. So what changed? Like, how did you end up at Carnegie Mellon pursuing uh, this? Um, I, 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 well, I won. I was really good at math and I thought maybe I'd be a, a computer programmer or, or so, something in sciences or whatever. And, and Carnegie Mellon has, you know, obviously an incredible computer department. So I was like, oh, I'll double major, you know, which was the silliest thing ever. Um, but I, and I auditioned because that was first before the rest of the applications were due. And, and I visited the school and I saw 
uh, some classes and I sat in and um, actually I Michael McElroy was in the year ahead of me and he I sat right in front of him in a, in a dance movement class and watched a class when I went to visit to school and I you know I'll never forget and he's you know gorgeous and brilliant and wonderful so I was like wow and I just just the whole feel uh, I thought I I, I want to be here I want to do this so so I just kind of fell into it a little bit I mean I was always a hard worker um, but I unlike my my husband who grew up in a family where there was nobody really that did any and but his mom was devoted and he saw a show it you know came at an early age went oh, i want to do that i want to do that and so everything was about trying to help him do that and a lot of people that's you know they want to and i wasn't necessarily like that i was kind of spoiled in that i knew uh what the life was like so i was like i don't i know how difficult this is i want to do something else but when you start realizing what gifts you have and you've been told at an early age that all along the way i i've been told not by my parents necessarily they were supportive and everything but you're going to meet people who are just like you you know you're one it, there's nothing special about you you're there's it's very competitive so you're going to go and and they're going to be 18 people there that all of them could do the job. So there's nothing that's special about you. And, and, and that's sort of defeating and you think, oh, I, so how could I possibly do this? But every time I went, I was like, well, if, if everyone's just like me, then I might as well just be the best me I can be. And I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to gain. So since I obviously can't get it anyway, because there's too many, too much competition, but I never really found those words to be true. I feel like everyone is unique. Everyone is special. There, you know, the fact that there are 18 people in a room, any one of them could play the part, but each one of those 18 is going to do it in a dramatically different way because of what they bring to it. And rather than being intimidated by that idea, I was like, oh, cool. So I never took no for an answer. And I was like, I'm just, I'm, I, I can do this. I can do And I just, I don't know where that confidence came from, but that kind of um, just going in and, and soaking it all in, trying to, to, you know, learn everything and do everything and be everything and, and listen and learn. And uh, I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm on the ride now. I'll, I'll do this as long as I, as opportunities present themselves and thankfully they continue to present themselves so I was very fortunate and all, then you know I look back now I'm like oh I I sort of have a career that's cool <laughs> I don't know how that happened I'd say sort of is putting it a little bit lightly but <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's amazing so what would you say your path was like to working professionally um well I I was not afraid to do anything um, I was on stage at the first, like I said, at age four. And when I was in fourth grade, my parents, uh, there was an opera version of a Christmas Carol and they asked if I wanted to, to audition for it. So it had nothing to do with them at all. And I sort of did, but they, I went in and, and I, I got it mostly because apparently I looked just like the artwork that that someone had sketched for that character and you know because they're like okay can you sing us a song you know and at nine i'm like no <laughs> it 
I wanna know. And I thought, oh, this is terrible. Cause there's lots of kids, yeah, I wanna perform, I wanna perform. But later on, um, my, uh, at fresh, once I got to college and I was, you know, everyone was performing and everyone wanted to learn and everyone wanted to perform. And um, come springtime, that's when all of the, there were auditions being posted up for summer work. And my freshman year, the, you know, the places you could work in the summer, if you didn't get into Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera, were Opryland USA in Nashville, uh, Bush Gardens down in Virginia or Tampa, uh, and Disney. And at the time, Opryland was the place to be. I think Kristen Chenoweth was there when I was there and, and a bunch of other people. Like there were a, a lot of folks that went through Opryland. That was like the place to be because it was all live musicians. So I auditioned and I got in, I was like, ooh, you know, so I went for my three, three months by myself and I paid for my own apartment and I had all this stuff and I, I worked down there at, you know, in a theme park, but I was willing to do that. And then the following year, um, I didn't want to do that again. I was waitlisted, I think, for Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera because I had busted my ankle at the audition. So I was on crutches. So they put me on the waitlist because they couldn't see me you know, perform or anything. But I hung out in, in town anyway. And I delivered singing telegrams because I was like, well, I need to do something. So I just... I, which was terrifying because you'd show up in some places and they'd think you were like a stripper or something <laughs> like, no, I'm just here to sing a go, oh God, you know? So that was, that was a little bit odd. Um, but then, um, my junior and senior year, I did Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera. And that was awesome because you got to do in multiple shows during the season, you were the in-house ensemble at least at the time, that's they were hiring a lot of college students, people from the University of Michigan, some of the Carnegie Mellon people, uh, Duquesne and Point Park, a lot of dancing dancers there. Uh, but you had all, all the people that were working on Broadway at the time were coming in and doing some some summer stuff. And so I got to pick their brains and I got to see who they were. And Roger Bart was in one and Karen Zamba was in one. and. And I've made friendships with these people, you know, being a wide-eyed, goofy college student. And now all of a sudden I, you know, graduate and got into the business my, uh, on my own merits. And then I, now I'm working with them and they're my contemporaries, which is really kind of cool. Um, but I, I remember in college, there was a guy, his name was Gary Lindemann, and he was a few years ahead of me. He ended up being in Phantom of the Opera and he got that a year after he graduated. So I remember telling myself, I'm giving myself a year to get like something serious. And if I, if I don't get it after a year, what was, I, I don't know where I, people spend, you know, decades working, working, working to be like the overnight success. I gave myself a year and I, I did some regional theater and I was like, okay, that's great. And then um, I got an audition for the LA company and then the national tour of City of Angels. And I got, and I, that was a show I was obsessed with that show because I love singing jazz. So I remember going to see that for the first time. That was the first time I went, <gasps> because it started, you know, I was like, oh, it's Manhattan Transfer. Oh my God. That's, oh, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I did in college. A lot of that. 
So I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I want anything, anything. I'll do anything. And and that that was my first production contract, which is the highest level that they that the union pays you, uh, which was amazing. So I you know I went out on the road and and I like I said I I spent my first six years. I did City of Angels and I did Miss Saigon and I did uh, a different uh, a production of Greece which was that we called that the Pepto-Bismol Greece. It's the one that Rosie O'Donnell was in. Um, and, oh gosh, what else did I do? A bunch of different things, but, oh, and then I got involved with Jekyll and Hyde. That's what happened. <laughs> and then that was four years on and off of watching how a show is developed and what the path might be to have it come to Broadway. Cause uh, that's a very long, and contorted journey for many, many writers and producers. So to see that firsthand was pretty amazing. For sure. So your Broadway debut ended up being Jekyll and Hyde. So, and creating a role, no less. So what was that? You're talking about the kind of craziness of developing a show, like talk about that. What was that like for you, especially, you know, your first Broadway gig? Um, well, it, again, I feel like I've, I've been really spoiled. And, and I don't know to what, you know, power or uh, fortune that I owe that uh, privilege and pleasure. Um, but I, rem I, I was working at the uh, Alabama Shakespeare Festival doing the all night strut. And I got a call to fly into New York to audition for a regional production of Jekyll and Hyde. And, and I'd heard about it because um, they had done I think a workshop in the city and there was um, the Calm Wilkinson, Linda Etter concept recording. This was like the first, and I think that was back in, I think they had done something at the Alley Theater in Houston in 1990, which I, so I, my, my dad had bought the selections, I think as well. So, you know, like I knew I had some music and I knew some of it. I was more of a Scarlet Pimpernel fan, to be honest, as that was being written. So, but Jekyll was the first one to come. And I knew when I got to the audition, I knew everybody's name on the list. So again, I thought, oh, well, I, I, the only name I don't recognize and not because they're friends of mine is mine. I don't, you know, these are all famous people as far as I'm concerned. There's no way I'm getting this. So again, most of my jobs have come that way. They've come out of a headspace of, I'm not going to get this. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to get this. So I'm, I have nothing to lose. So I'll just go. So I went and I did my thing and sort of unapologetic and the, you know, jobs that I've been like, oh, I have to try to be good. Never worked, never worked. So I ended up over a long period of time, uh, it was, I had to fly out to LA at one point while they were mixing that uh, um, Anthony Warlow concept recording, that's a double CD recording. So they taught me the show and I ended up getting this regional job. And all through that, I would sing what I was given but then if I would, they, you know, call me, oh, can you sing this? Try that, change this. Oh, this is different in your voice. What key would you like it? And so they were writing it in and around me, which was really awesome and exciting because then you feel like you're a part of the creative process. And 
anything I would do, they, you know, oh, this is an important moment. Let's write some more pages or write a different scene or we need a couple lines here because what what you're doing, we want to expect, I thought, oh, I have, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, so as I was, you know, very young, um, but I I loved that in the end. So some some experiences are like that other times you start to realize as an actor it really is just your job to read what's on the page it is not your job to give your opinion <laughs> or to um but some some rooms they do want to know what you have to think so you have to learn to gauge what kind of room you're in are you in a room that is collaborative and is something where they want everybody to give feedback or are you in a room where I'm a vessel for the writer's words so they can hear what it sounds like not in their head and that's it you know that's all that's that's where my job starts and ends um coming to that conclusion after starting in such a collaborative environment was not always an easy journey let me say um but uh eventually you get there and if you're lucky enough to have a long enough run in this business then then you get to correct all of your mistakes or try to anyway <laughs> yeah absolutely so looking ahead i mean you're mentioning that transition from starting off with such a creative room to sometimes not sometimes yes i guess what has been your favorite project that you've gotten to be a part of whether that be in a more creative space or one where you know you have been a vessel and you've enjoyed that process as well like what has been of your insane resume, perhaps your favorite project to get to tag. Um, I will say right now two. Um, uh, well, th th three. Well, for different reasons. There's a bunch of different things. Um, uh, Ragtime was amazing. Uh, it, it it was a revival. It was a regional production that got another life because of what we did. And what was amazing about it was that uh, even though it, it was not being written around us, the writers were there, all of them, Lynn and Steve and Terrence were there during the rehearsal process, which was amazing. Um, and uh, Marsha Milgram Dodge was the director and she had an idea and put it up on its feet really quickly. But then in terms of what we did with it, uh, she wanted us to, you know, look at the script as if it had never been done before. What not, you know, not worrying about these are iconic characters. You do what, what the energy of what people are expecting, take it off the shelf, read it. And how does it strike you and, and develop that way. So that was a, an incredible gift because in many ways you feel like it's the same kind of situation because you're bringing something into the room that is unique and special to you. And like I was saying, I feel like we're all unique and special. So the fact that I was encouraged to do that, I'm like, oh, yes, I like this. This is good. Um, and I had just given birth. So I, it, I tend to be a little bit psychotic in terms of overthinking everything. Um, and so it, there, I mean, the fact that I, ended up being nominated for a Tony Award for that is no um, coincidence because I really couldn't spend much time thinking about the show. I just had to open my mouth and be 
in it and and respond to the people to the actors around me and to be present and to be alive because I had you know a little six week old child that I was you know breastfeeding and trying to you know oh my gosh I mean that it was all happening at the same time was insane but the less we think about it you do preparation you get it in your head and then forget about it the better off your results are going to be um I felt like uh, uh, the other uh, experience that was so life affirming um, was when I got to do Next to Normal um, in this brilliant theater up in Hartford, Connecticut called Theater Works. And it was really intimate and wonderful. And um, Rob Ruggiero was the director. And again, he, he and I kind of approached it in a different way you know and not just trying to be different but how does this what is what is what occurs to you what what makes this person's this character special to you and how is it coming out of your mouth um as brilliant as alice was i could never do what she did not in a million years it would it would come off you know false and pushed and horrible and no one would buy it and so the fact that we were in this smaller space where really you felt like you were sitting in this family's living room it and and i i kept um thinking that everybody this i hate to say mental illness but how people are in the world is every it is it touches everybody everyone has their thing to overcome every day to exist in the world. Everyone has that. So some days that the thing you have to overcome gets the better of you. So what happens? And it's not about, oh, she's crazy. It's like, oh, I recognize this family. Oh God, that's me, you know, or, oh, that's my sister. Like it, it just where everything's fine, everything's fine until it's not fine. And I think we've all experienced that to different levels and this that show is so brilliant because it is a snapshot of a day when thing is not fine and or or weeks or months or whatever you know um so yeah i loved that was also brilliant and i i will throw dear evan hansen on there that is a really hard one um really 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 difficult because it's so emotional and whereas next to normal it's her trajectory i feel like it is it was harder for the other characters in the play who have to kind of jump in where she i think you talk to anybody who plays evan yes it's challenging but it's his ride so he gets to ramp up and ramp down and it's emotional but then there's a payoff and there's all this stuff but cynthia is coming in in this highly agitated emotional state from beginning to end. So it was really exhausting. But once I realized um, what this story was and how much it meant to so many audiences and the people who were viewing it and experiencing it and realizing how important the story it was, this in many ways, the same way that Next to Normal is, um, and what my job was to show that kind of love and, and uh, just uh, so how someone is destroyed if something ever happened to them and that you are loved, even if you think your parents don't love you or don't understand you or don't have time for you or don't get it, 
my job was to remind everybody, nope, nope, they, they might mess up, but oh my gosh, they would be, they would fall apart. Their, their lives would be over if anything ever happened to you, you know? And, and then I, as a mom, I was like, oh, that's a huge responsibility and what a glorious, um, gift to be given to remind someone that they're loved. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. So talking about Dear Evan Hansen some more, how did you get involved with the tour and then ultimately Broadway? Well, I got to do Broadway because um, Stacy Mindich, our amazing, amazing, incredible producer, uh, was kind enough to say, well, I want to, I don't know if it's reward me, but you know, that I gave a year of my life to be away from my family, to invest in the show and be a part of that show. And that she wanted me to be able to come home and do it. And, uh, so it, that, that was all her doing and her idea. And I am eternally grateful for that opportunity. Um, and hopefully I'll get to, you know, go back and be with it when it comes back, you know, and finish off my time there. We'll see. Um, but, I, I had heard of Dear Evan Hansen, even people were really talking it up when it was down at the arena stage uh, in DC. Um, and so when it was opening on Broadway and ever, or, or they, I guess they had done the off Broadway and then they opened on Broadway, still a lot of chatter and everybody, oh, this is gonna be the big thing. And, and it was right before the Tonys were announced i think i had gotten a phone call uh, about that there's going to be a tour and would you be interested in going out not interested would you be interested in being considered to go out i think was how it was presented and i was like nope <laughs> not even if either of those ladies ever leave which i know they're not going to uh in new york they're you know they're, why would they at this point it's a good gig for, you know, ladies of a certain age and they're home and I know they all have children, you know, there, there's no way anybody's going, but if either one of them ever leave, give me a call. <laughs> I will happily, you know, jump in. Uh, but I didn't want to leave my family and I didn't want to um, do that because it's hard enough to go and do little things here and there. I had uh, much of my career from in between theater gigs has been doing um, symphony concerts. And those were brilliant because I could go and sing with world-class orchestras for a weekend and then come home and be home for the rest of the month, you know, and then maybe go out twice the following month. And it just, and get to sing all of the best music, uh, you know, of standards and a Broadway and a film and all of that stuff. But I got to be home and be a mom. And they call, you know, Dervin Hansen goes on to win the Tony. And uh, they, you know, we realize it's a big, huge thing. And months go by and they call me again. They would really like you to consider being considered <laughs> to see if you would come in again. The, and I was like, oh, no. And, and I talked to my husband and he's like, no, 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 wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. They're, they're coming around a second time. So you should at least see what it is that, you know, you, you don't, this is twice now. Don't, this is opportunity. That's, you know, the whole idea, 
you work hard to be prepared so when an opportunity presents itself you can jump on it and you know all jobs come for different reasons and so you know it went from a friday to a monday of going okay put me on the list i i can be can you know whatever and to going michael greif wants to meet you monday morning and the entire team's going to be there and all i'm like huh and and i mean it, it happened that fast that i guess um they had seen a lot of people and for whatever reason, they had a very specific idea in their head of what Cynthia was supposed to be. And we're having a very difficult time getting out of the spe that specific headspace of what that is. And I happened to fulfill their idea of what Cynthia was at that moment. Um, so I, it was sort of an actor's dream in that they came to me, they asked me f about it and they said, here, take this job. I was like, Oh my gosh, you know that again, I, I don't want this job. <laughs> it's either I don't want this job or I'm not going to get this job. And then those are the jobs that I would always, that I've always booked. So that's kind of how uh, the tour happened. Um, and I did a year on the road and had my family or me would go back and forth every two to four weeks. Four weeks was too long. So, um, but two to three, we can sort of deal with and then got to come home, which was nice. And then, and then this happened and now I'm in my attic. <laughs> you know, just pandemics and things. Yeah, pandemics and things. As they do. Yeah. So I guess what was the most challenging or the most rewarding part of being on tour? I mean, this show is so insane and it's had such an impact. So like, what's besides obviously being away from your family so regularly, the show itself, what would you say is, I guess, the most challenging and then in turn, the most rewarding part of it? I'm gonna start with the most rewarding part, um, talking to the audience members afterwards at the stage door. Um, I didn't, I, I, it, was a, it was a different experience on the road than it was when I did it in the city. Cause in the city, yes, there were people that were seeing it for the first time, but it's also, oh, I'm at a Broadway show and, all I'm, um, you know, I'm on 45th Street, and there's, you know, four or five theaters, and all of the people are coming out, and oh, what did they see? And well, they they went to A2 Proud, and they came around from Hamilton, and all, you know, so it was quick. Oh, glad you liked it. Where are you from? Oh, good, you know, and so lots of that. But on the road, I don't know why. Maybe because the only thing that they people had known uh, was the the CD. You know, maybe maybe some of them had seen in the, in the city, but this was the first time that they were being exposed to the show because it was in their t hometown. And to see and hear and feel the emotional impact that the show had on so many people, I I believe it's the same thing that happened with the Broadway company at the beginning when it first started. And to have that opportunity to connect with people, I mean, they gave us a whole tutorial, you know, don't get involved if, you know, um, if strangers want to give you a hug, you know, and I'm like, I'm a mom, you can tell, like, I will go up if a stranger's having a problem, I will put my hand on their shoulder, you know, are you okay? And thank you for being here. And I'm glad you were able to, to be a part of this and th that this means so much to you and thank you. And fortunately, 
I mean, some of the cast members were getting more unloaded upon of, of the, the weight of different people's, which was a lot to process. So they had to sort of insulate themselves. But I didn't get that as much. Just little snippets of it here and there. But, but just to see people's face of how moved they were by it, that was amazing. Um, the challenging was uh, to, to travel days are always interesting if you know transportation wasn't helping out. Um, but I think getting getting enough rest, get, getting into a routine that you could sustain no matter where you were, being okay with the idea, okay, it's noon and I've been laying in bed. I should get up and go from a walk and get my, but not because I'm sleeping, just because I am spent and that's okay. Like you are gearing yourself up. Uh, in some ways doing this show was easier without my family because I, I could really just focus on, I have to be in a certain position from, you know, eight until 10 every night and my entire day is geared to that. So I am not distracted by anything else other than what I want to be distracted by. So that I, that's probably a good thing as much as it was a challenge. Um, learning to leave all the emotion at bay was a big challenge. To not let that just saturate my being and just kind of hang there. Sometimes it was difficult to distinguish how much of it was me being feeling bad that I wasn't home being a mom or me feeling bad because I felt bad last night and now I've woken up and I still kind of feel bad. So it all was sort of feeling, feeding each other. That was hard. Um, but uh, I, I would hope that if I do go back there, I will have learned something this past <laughs> few years and be able to approach it in a, in a purer way that's uh and lighter and uh more fun um it's hard though like when you go in and start trying to goof around and then you realize you have to be in some sort of space to to cry and feel and not just being like i'm crying now but like actually really be crying um it's hard to goof around with people and then just flick a switch i wish i was able to do that i have to kind of simmer for a little bit but you learn that too. Yeah, absolutely. So now you kind of talk about meeting with people at the stage door, especially on the road and how this show really resonates with people. What about this show do you think really hits different, I guess? What do you, what do you think has made it have the cultural impact that it has? I, I think people uh, really see themselves in these characters. They're all flawed. There, there is, it is, they have done an incredible job of uh, capturing uh, a moment in time in our collective humanity right now of um, people being not feeling not good enough, feeling not seen, feeling not heard, feeling judged, working really hard, whether we're talking about the parents and the, the, the kids in the show. Um, having whether that is you know ang anxiety or or a drug issue or um, again I use that word mental illness I can't mental health let's say that just or feeling comfortable in your own skin 
and what that means or not feeling comfortable in your own skin and watching someone work through that and make all the wrong choices everybody we i mean the parents say the wrong things and the kids you know may you see all of them evan everybody kind of go and then you go no don't go that way oh god no oh because you know it's going to be horrible um but then figure like try to figure it out on the other end and realize you are we're all going through that and we we are enough and the idea of connecting with another human being can save their life and and acknowledging that and seeing that you you give value to your own life by trying to connect with somebody else even if it's for the wrong reasons you know it it it's still um i know people have different ideas about that show uh, some some are it's like it's a lie it's all based on a lie i don't like it you know like or how many times have we all been in the situation where you hear something coming out of your mouth that you're like what am i saying what you know is it a lie Meh. i mean it just kind of and and all of a sudden the ball the snowball is now rolling down the hill and it's like i can you know and how do you how do you get it back how do you dodge how do you get it we've all we've all been there i mean it, it'd be disingenuous to to not uh, recognize that that common shared experience that i think that we all have with the characters in the show and that's what theater's for to go and ex and to see that and to experience that and and to watch someone else go through something that we might be going through and then go oh that validates how i'm feeling that i i am enough oh all these these feelings of anxiety or or emotions that i'm this sadness this desperation this all of this I'm not the only one and I'm hearing people snort around me. Obviously, I'm not the only one. You know, okay, I can get through the, I can get through to the other side until I see the sun, you know, and yeah, it's it I I think how's that? <laughs> Couldn't have said it any better myself. <laughs> Absolutely. That show being in that room and crying with everybody in that house, I mean, you can't help but feel that community. Yeah, I I I loved uh, sometimes you seeing in the audience, cause we can see you, uh, in, especially in certain, certain scenes more than others because of the way everything's lit, we can see the audience. And then certainly at the stage door, um, parents and children who you get this definite, get the sense that they, their communication skills might not be on point with each other, but the healing that occurred or the communication that occurred for having sat next to each other and watched it and experienced it and i i can't tell you how many times i'd have you know a mother and a daughter going i had no idea or the daughter i had no idea what and and that um awareness of someone else's journey getting out of our own stuff for a second and 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 realizing that our our actions do affect those around us yeah it's it's neat <laughs> absolutely so you talk a little bit about you know hopefully post-pandemic coming back fingers crossed 
wanting to approach the show, you said more purity. I guess what have you, what has the past year taught you that you think will help when you get back to it or just kind of what you've learned from this crazy blackout year? Um, th- I, uh, that I, I have to remember to, to fill the picture. I mean, I think we all, we all go, uh, uh, at least I, I do. And, and maybe, I don't know if this is an age thing or an experience thing or just time, the environment, what's going on in the world. Um, but I think this, this time has really, you know, we, you, as an actor, you get an opportunity. Not everybody goes from show to show to show to show to show. Sometimes it is you think, oh, you've done lots of amazing things. There's a lot of time when you're not doing anything. So when you finally get something, you're like, you, you feel like a squirrel and you're going to, you know, grab all the money and grab all the experience and do all of it. And okay. And I got to make sure that I do it really good. And you get real, and, and you sort of forget the, the joy, especially depending on um, what it is. Some people are so good at it that I, and I don't know if it's because I grew up in it and I wasn't necessarily a fan. I feel like those people that you see, the Josh Lehmans, the Rob McClure's, the people that were fans as the young people and stage door people that were like, oh, anyway, now they find themselves doing it. The gratitude is huge because, and, and the joy that they bring into the room is enormous. And there are some people that try to do that and then it's like forced and you can tell it's like, oh no, you're, what are you trying to, uh, what angle are you working here? You know, what are you trying, who are you manipulating? Cause there's that too. But I guess you get that in any business and probably even in, in high school when you're dealing with different people, some people are just genuinely wonderful, refreshing, incredible people that you want to have in the room that you like having around. And who work hard and that something happens good for them. You're like, oh, they were so good. And other people are like always looking to see how they can, you know, outmaneuver other people or, you know, be subversive. And, you know, and I mean, yes, do you, you, that, that you encounter those people too? Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. Uh, But I think I was just, I've always like really worked really hard. And when I, when I get tunnel vision, I kind of forget about everything else, which is not good. So this is, this time has sort of given me to, to go remember what is actually really important and that this is play. I mean, I used to say that all the time, but to actually remind myself that every time you get a chance to do this, you are lucky because honestly, at any moment, it may be gone. So rather than being desperately holding on to it, kind of let it there and, you know, flick around and play with it a little bit and be like, oh, look what I get to do. Yay. You know, and, and be, and find that place. And I think that will make it easier to go back to anything, no matter how heavy and dark it, you know, and it might be because then it's like, oh, look what I got to do. Uh, you know, I, I was like, I have to cry every day. So I have to figure out how I can cry every day, you know, which is a really, 
horrible place to put yourself you know but also just difficult to get out of too you know it's it's not so easy to be like oh just be just be grateful and because then you you know the little nasty person in the corner it's like yeah you're grateful for me it's it never stops it never goes away and and uh i i hope that we all will realize and figure out what we're grateful for and what is important and it's not so it's not always about pursuing the career and do it like the guy the fact that you guys are doing this and having conversations with people because it's something that interests you and you want to engage in in other people's experience and learn and feed your own passions for it i can only assume um i think that's uh, uh amazing and I mean, you look at people again, I say like Rob McClure, who does those conductor cams, you know, that was because he had, he had something creative he wanted to do. He didn't release those because he was looking to be, uh, to stay, to stay current and to have his name out there and to make sure people didn't forget him and just putting content out there for people. Like he actually had something that he wanted to do. And a lot of people have been, are just creative people. And so they're putting things out there because they can't help it. And, you know, others of us might not, might not be like that. You know, we're sort of waiting till it's okay, it's open and I can do what someone else is doing, you know, and, and that's, that's maybe a little bit how this business might be shifting to the place of it being a lot more of creating your own content. I mean, that was always an issue, but now we've we've learned how to do that. You know, and, and if if people don't have a really swanky microphone like the one that you're you know have there, or um, a ring light, or you know, like that's those are basic uh, necessities now, and you can you can create an entire show just as you guys are doing. And also old people who are like, eh, I'm tired. You know? <laughs> I'm glad they're doing it. That's good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that just the creativity that you see in this industry these days, it's it's so inspiring. And it's so cool that we're, it is cool that we're shifting towards that place. But, you know, we can't wait for Broadway to be back. <laughs> it's going to be agree more. miraculous. <laughs> Breathing each other's air and that shared experience. I mean, I, I'm sitting here staring at you looking for a connection of nodding and okay, yeah, they get it, you know, or whatever, or just or or anything. But you when you're in a room with someone, you can tell and feel what what they have taken in and what they're not, when they're turned off, when they're not, when they're leaning in, when they're like, you can feel that exchange of energy. You know, we can put up a show and I've, I've gotten a chance to do a play reading on here. And I filmed, um, I filmed a, a, a cabaret or a concert that I, that was aired locally. And I'm going to actually, I rewrote it a little bit and we're filming it next week. In two weeks, you know, a week and a half, um, we're filming it, and, and Good Speed and that theater, uh, theater works are do co-producing. So that's going to be streamable through the entire month of May, which is great. But again, I mean, there's not an audience. You know, we're we're turning it into a, a virtual uh, concert experience or whatever you want to call it, and we're trying to make the most out of this. 
but it's like making a film and there's a reason people want to go to the theater they want to see the mistakes they want it to see the ugliness they want you know what happens when the snot's coming down or they spit on the other like all those little things that happen when you watch a live performance that you that you don't get when you're just push play on a on a movie i mean movies are amazing but there's a reason that people like to to there's a visceral connection that we've been lacking and we're i think we're all desperate for again definitely so to kind of wrap it up what is some what is one thing that you wish that you could tell your younger self oh don't take yourself so seriously don't just you know um everyone's doing their best and you're do and your your best on any given day is is good enough don't be so hard on yourself um just uh yeah don't don't it's it's not worth it <laughs> it really isn't worth it um be 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 grateful for every every moment and uh i mean i did a lot of i did a lot of it right and i and i i could tell myself that but i don't necessarily think i would have listened because you talk to any young artist who's ready to go and take on the world because that's exactly what where they should be they need to have that kind of fortitude because this there's so much uh, rejection and judgment and solitude and like that so you have to have that kind of commitment to what you do and belief that you can do it and not empowering anybody else around you to take it away from you like you need to have that fierceness and uh, abandon and a, a desire to just make a complete ass of yourself and that's okay like just that fearlessness um so i don't think i would have listened yeah 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 you know because i would never have been able to to do any of the things that i did but the best stuff that i've done in my career happened when i stopped paying attention to myself you know it happened when i got married and i had a child and so all of my focus went away from me that's when all of my best opportunities all of my largest successes however you judge success but financially and critically and it, it and within my community and it, things that i felt good about they all happened after like late at the time when i thought oh if i do this i'm killing my career i i, I will have given up because it's it you know nobody wants to that they don't want that mm -hmm. i mean that is necessary but no one wants to be around that mm -hmm. <laughs> they want to be around the hey let's put on a play <laughs> so yeah 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 for sure well i think that's an amazing sentiment to end on. So Christiane, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Like we cannot Absolutely. tell you how much we appreciate it. It's been so oh, awesome to talk to you. Thank you for the for the opportunity to gap my gums. You're like, it's a conversation. <laughs> like, it's not a conversation. I'm gonna be just like spouting for a while. <laughs> well thanks. to connect with Christiane on the Instagram, check out at Christiane.null where you can find where you can keep up to date on her latest projects. Also, be sure to follow Theatrical Thoughts at Theatrical Thoughts Podcast on Instagram as well. 
Seriously, thank you again, Christiane. This has been amazing. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you guys in the next one. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.